Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Should mass murderers be permanently assigned to maximum security prisons? More Canadians are buying secondhand stuff. Canada's household debt ratio is the highest in the G7. Believe it or not, some Canadian companies have been linked to Russian and Syrian weapons programs. Ready for another Ticats Argos clash? And I speak to a kid from Oakville who's a pilot. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The Paul Bernardo prison transfer mess is not going away, nor should it, because there's a lot of emotion and a lot of interest as to what is going to happen next in this story. He knows and they know that he knew way back then. So will he do the only honorable thing that is left for him to do and resign? Mr. Speaker, I invite the leader of the Conservative Party to repeat that allegation outside of the House. I will absolutely reject it. That was earlier this week in question period. Conservative leader Pierre Poiliev and Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino going toe-to-toe over the transfer of convicted killer Paul Bernardo from a maximum security prison to a medium security institution. And it has a lot of people, rightfully so, upset about this. Niagara Falls Conservative MP Tony Baldinelli has introduced a private member's bill that, if passed, would require that mass murderers be permanently assigned a maximum security classification. Let's bring in Min, uh, Mr. Baldinelli, the Conservative MP for Niagara Falls here on GMH. Tony, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Well, what is the status of this bill right now? Where is it at? Well, I just tabled the legislation uh, on Wednesday. And so that, that, that's considered first reading. In fact, what I tried to do yesterday was seek unanimous consent to see that this bill, con, uh, considering all the controversy that's been going on, and I sought the unanimous consent of the House to see that we could get this bill passed at all stages immediately and send it to the Senate for its consideration. Unfortunately, uh, that request was denied. So what happens to it now? Well, what we'll do is, I mean, we have only one more week here, Rick, until the summer break. And so, uh, unfortunately, I'll have to wait until the fall at the earliest to have an opportunity to debate this uh, bill at second reading and then uh, go forward with debate at that time. So under this bill, if passed, Corrections Canada, as you know, has a legal mandate to provide programs and services to address uh, a criminal's behavior. And mass murderers obviously would fall under this umbrella as well. Under this bill, would that continue for these individuals in maximum security? Well, yeah, what this does is simply classify dangerous offenders and those who are multiple uh, murderers uh, have been classified as being uh, assigned a maximum security classification. And then that would require their incarceration in a maximum security institution. The programming and, and all of that is, is it continues with correctional say, uh, services of Canada. What this does, though, is classify that those individuals uh, who are dangerous offenders and uh, who have committed multiple murders will be placed in a maximum security institution. So who uh, delivers that classification? Is that Corrections Canada? Is that a judge? How does that work? Well, what's happened is, I mean, there's a, uh, through the correctional services uh, legislation, uh, the, the Liberal government changed it in 2019, and in fact, what they did was they changed it so that prison selection was to be made based on giving inmates the least restrictive environment possible. 
And what we're proposing and my legislation proposes is go, uh, it, it goes back to the previous conservative wording of having uh, prison selection based on necessary restrictions. We're chatting with Tony Baldinelli, conservative MP for Niagara Falls, who's brought forth a private member's bill that, if passed, would require that mass murderers be permanently assigned a maximum security classification. Uh, I don't want to get too gruesome here, but would, would the definition of mass murderers be two or more victims? That, that, that is what is classified under the legislation, a dangerous offender or uh, a criminal who's committed uh, multiple murders. So the accused in the terrorist attack in London, for example, who has not gone to trial yet, would that individual be included in this in this bill? It, uh, if it's a more than one uh, murder uh, uh, conviction, yes. And this is where it gets a little tricky, because when we look at offenders like Matthew DeGrood, who was in the in the news earlier this week, he was denied uh, full parole, stabbed to death five people at a house party in Calgary back in 2014, found not criminally responsible due to undiagnosed and untreated schizophrenia. That individual would not be included in this because he's not in a maximum security uh, institution. He's not even in an institution. Well, yeah, I mean, this 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 goes to, 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 to correct a, an error that that exists currently in the legislation, which the liberals brought upon themselves. I mean, they could have avoided all of this situation in 2019 by by making the changes that they did through C83. And we're saying that is the cause of this problem. And so we're looking to go back with our original wording that we think will prevent this situation from ever happening again. Do you have a sense, and I'm not sure if you even have the answer to this, do you have a sense of how many mass murderers are currently not in maximum security? Oh, I, I, I don't have that. Uh, and uh, I, I can't speculate at this time, right? That'd be interesting to find out for sure. Tony, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time on this, and we'll be following the story. Thank you. I mean, this legislation is about doing what's right. So hopefully uh, my, my parliamentary colleagues will agree to it, and when we come back in the fall, help me to pass it. Tony Baldinelli, Conservative MP for Niagara Falls, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. It's, uh, it's an interesting suggestion. I mean, it makes, makes kind of, you know, when, when you think about it, yeah, this kind of makes sense. You know, if you're a mass murderer, if you have... Uh, kill two or more people, you know, regardless of the circumstances, let's just, you know, leave it at that kind of foundational base right now. It it, it kind of makes sense to say, all right, you're going to be in a maximum security institution. You'll have this classification because what you did is basically the most heinous crime you can commit. Killing multiple individuals, whether they're strangers or friends or family, you have wiped out the lives of more than one individual. And so on, on paper, it does make sense. But then you kind of get into the nitty gritty about, well, this happened and, and maybe this was a fit of rage and this guy or, or lady is not psychotic. And you have a lot of factors that go into making this classification not necessarily gray, but there's going to be some debate when it comes to individuals who are before a judge or before a jury and are staring at this potential maximum security classification. It's going to be very interesting to see, number one, if it gets passed. And I have my doubts seeing that the conservatives don't have the numbers in the House of Commons, but still from a from an idea standpoint, on paper, makes it does make a lot of sense. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. When was the last time you bought a used item? 
a secondhand item. And you did so because, well, you really wanted that or you really needed said item, but you really didn't have the cash to buy something new. Well, you're not alone. There's a new report out from PayPal that shows 31% of Canadians admit to purchasing used goods more than once a month and nearly three quarters do it to make their money go further. It makes a lot of sense. Melina Mitra is a director of communications at PayPal Canada and joins us now on GMH. Melina, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Uh, There's no surprise that people are going to the secondhand or used market because, as we know, money is tight. Inflation has really uh, kicked us in the you-know-where. What did this report find? So I think there's two aspects to it. One is buying secondhand. So like you said, 31% of Canadians are purchased used goods once a month. And the other aspect is selling. So you can also sell. And one person's trash is another person's treasure. So uh, this report reveals that Canadians could make on average $570, uh, you know, by selling unused items that they have lying around. What are the most popular secondhand items that Canadians are buying? So clothes, uh, books, and furniture. Well, all the stuff that people need. I mean, we need clothes. Books is an interesting one, though, because uh, obviously they are pricey. You can get some good deals at stores, but second half, probably really cheap. You know, the books one is interesting, Rick, because we've done a similar survey in the UK. And in the UK, it was actually clothes, technology, and furniture. So, you know, secondhand devices, whether it be iPads, tablets, phones, etc., or even any other gadgets. So um, I guess Canadians are bigger um, book readers. (laughs) Who is buying this stuff and what demo is selling these secondhand items? So I would say Gen Z is leading the trend with 42% of Gen Z buying secondhand once a month compared to roughly about 27% of um, Gen um, X and boomers. So I'd say Gen Z is leading that. And I'm sure many of us have younger uh, nieces, kids, and uh, I often hear and I see them in stores as well as online buying secondhand uh, to save money as well as to be more sustainable. We're talking about a new report from PayPal that shows 31% of Canadians are purchasing used goods more than once a month. About three quarters do it to make their money go a little bit further. Malini Mitra is our guest, Director of Communications at PayPal Canada. There's also, and I was just going through the report, there's also a mindset that, you know, buying secondhand not only saves money, but it's helping the environment as well by reducing waste. Yeah, so one in four identified that, you know, we're not surprised about that. One in four identified that they do that for sustainable reasons, so be to be friendly on the uh, planet. Um, and of course, it's part of the circular economy then, you know, so if you buy something, you wear it the second time. And we're seeing retailers catch on to this trend where literally for the first time in many years, I'm seeing well-known retailers um, have a section on their website where they offer resale of their own items. There's also, according to this report, a, a trust factor. Can you speak to that and how we need to increase this trust to make the buyer and the seller feel good about their transaction? Trust is a key factor here, Rick. Um, so the, a couple of things that would make people more comfortable is reviews and comments. So if there's a review and comment to the seller, uh, then the other one was if there are trusted payment methods like, say, PayPal. Because in PayPal's case, we offer purchase as well as seller protection, uh, even if it's secondhand goods for eligible purchases. Uh, and the last bit was to build trust as if there were multiple images of the product. I'm sure there have been times, Rick, when you bought something and when it showed up, it's not as what it was advertised. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that happens all the time, to be honest. <laughs> Malini, we'll have to leave it there. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for sharing Thank the you. details of this report. Uh, Malini Mitra is a director of communications with PayPal Canada. That one statistic she threw out there is really interesting. You know, if you have a bunch of stuff in your house that you think, I, I really don't need this any, anymore. Do I just throw it out? Well, try and resell it. As she said, someone's garbage is another person's treasure. And according to this report, on average, on average, Canadians estimate that they're selling unwanted items for about $571. So whether that is, as she mentioned, the clothes, the books, the furniture you no longer need or use, $571, that's, hey, I can do some damage at a store or, or go to uh, your budget in some way. And 65%, according to this survey, 65% of Canadians agree that their homes are full of unused stuff. Hey, I, I have stuff in my house that I haven't used or looked at. You know, it's sitting in the basement or sitting in the garage. And there, there's money right there. So, hey, check out your basement or your garage or whatever the case is. And maybe you can make a quick buck this coming Father's Day weekend. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The level of debt that Canadians are carrying continues to rise, so much so that Stats Canada says in the first quarter of this year, our household debt ratio climbed to 185%. That's up from 182% in the fourth quarter last year. We have accumulated more debt in this country than in any country in the G7. Paul Anacek is Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, good morning. Thanks for waking up with us. Morning, Rick. Um, we're waking up with some shocking stats today, so I'm, I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade, but, you know, these are shocking numbers that Canadians really need to take a, you know, close look at their own finances because, you know, the numbers keep going up and, and it needs to stop at some point. Yeah, let, let's go into these latest numbers from StatsCan. What do they tell us about the financial struggles that Canadians are facing? Well, we looked at the numbers, you know, it rose to one8 184.5%. Now, that's close to a record. And how close to a record is? It's 0.1 off from a record, which was back in December 2022. You know, what it's telling us is that, you know, Canadians are, you know, at their limit. You know, people are saying, how much further can we go? You know, households are already near their tipping points, even before this stat was released. You know, here in Ontario, we're already seeing the financial strain happening. You know, delinquencies now are an all-time high. You know, we're seeing here in Ontario delinquency rates, you know, that are close to, you know, 30, 40 percent, depending on um, areas. Specifically here in Ontario, 34.07 percent, you know, delinquency rates that we're seeing. And Canadians are still borrowing. That is the problem. And this is why we're seeing the record of debt-to-income ratio continue to rise. For those who are listening to all these stats and they can relate to those statistics, and yes, they are borrowing more money because, well, in some cases they just have to. What's your advice to these people? Well, first of all, we know that people can relate to the stats because there was an FP Canada survey that came out that almost half Canadians are losing sleep. But what people really need to do is they need to take a look at their own current debt level. Yes, there's these warnings on a national level, but right now people need to be looking at their own finances and not worry about 
you know, the Canadian picture, you know, take a look at what your debt is. Are you keeping up with your monthly obligations? Are you struggling to get by? If that is the case, you need to get a specific financial plan in place. And specifically, I mean, it should be a, a financial plan to pay down your debt. You know, don't wait for tomorrow. While you have options still available to you, now is the time to look. Yes, interest rates did go up this uh, week. Yes, interest rates are probably going to go up in July. However, they're still actually pretty low, so you can take advantage of it. If you can't consolidate, well, then you need to really meet with a debt professional, such as myself, a licensed insolvency trustee. We're going to go over all your various options, you know, whether it's, you know, budget counseling, debt counseling credit counseling, or even consumer proposals or bankruptcies, we're going to sit down and put a plan that meets your needs. And it all starts with a budget. I mean, if you don't have that foundation, you're you're kind of wondering what is happening with your household budget. That's right. Half of Canadians have a budget. So that means half of Canadians are walking around really not knowing where their money is going. If you don't know where your money is going, then you're not going to be able to actually trim your budget down to help with this high inflation that we're seeing. And again, the higher interest rates, the budget is the key thing. I sometimes call it your GPS to your financial future. And it really is, you know, a lot of people try and do budgets, but they keep busting it. That is the big problem with Canadians. A lot of times we try and get the budget in place. We bust it one month and we give up. Finances is like riding a bike. Once you fall off and you're going to fall off because, you know, Learning financial literacy can be tough. So if you fall off, get right back on your budget track and keep going. What uh, final advice do you have for our audience uh, this morning? You know what? Don't lose sleep. You know, yes, it's Friday. Enjoy the long week or not. It's not a long weekend. For some people, it might be a long <laughs> weekend, but enjoy the weekend, uh, you know. But you know what? Don't lose sleep over your finances and don't worry about the numbers you're hearing out there. Concentrate on yourself personally. If you have any concerns, questions, give BDO a call, 1-855-BDO-DEBT or visit our website at bdodebt.ca for, you know, information, advice, and if you want to book a free consultation. And, and you kind of hit the nail on the head, too, in terms of, you know, just just relax. You know, the world's not coming to an end. The debt stress, yes, is real, but there are things you can do to, you know, cut that stress away. There are always options regarding your finances, and that's one thing to remember. When people get into financial difficulty, they tend to believe that they're the only ones out there. However, we're seeing some insolvency stats that are coming up showing that, you know, Canadians are turning to consumer proposals and bankruptcies, and we're starting to get back to, you know, levels that we saw before COVID. Interesting stuff. Paul, always appreciate your time. Thanks for waking up with us this morning. Okay, thanks, Rick. Have a good day. You too. Paul Anacek, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. And uh, yeah, number number one, it starts with the budget. Number two, you gotta you got to become more financially literate, do some homework. And I know there's a ton of information online. BDODebt.ca is a great resource that you can go to to get uh, more financially sound, both uh, on, on paper and certainly in your bank account where it, uh, where it uh, matters the most. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Levi Mitchell going end zone. Touchdown, Tiger Cats. Tim White 
makes the catch, gets the touchdown. Thanks to the Ticats Audio Network for the sound. Rick Samprin waking you up on a Friday edition of Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. This Sunday night, it's the Tiger Cats and the Argonauts at BMO Field. You can listen to the game starting with the pregame show here on CHML beginning at 6. Kickoff is at 7 after the game. Stay with us for the fifth quarter brought to you by Eastgate Forward on 900 CHML. Our guest is going to break on down what could potentially happen on Sunday. You know him as a former Ticats superstar and now an analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. His name is Andy Fantuz and he's back here with us on GMH. Andy, good morning. How are you? Morning, Rick. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Ticats looking to rebound here in week number two after a week one loss in Winnipeg. What are some of the things that you are hoping to see come Sunday night for the black and gold? Well, opportunity comes to mind and uh, the, the I think the Ticats need to get a few things on track and begins, it begins offensively. Um, you know, we all saw the, the, you know, the mistiming, the miscues between quarterback and receiver last week. And we're hoping to get uh, some, some of those connections or you could have been a whole different game. If some of those deep balls were connected and um, you never know what would have happened. So uh, that, that's, that's the, the biggest thing for me is to see what what progress they can make with the um, the connection between the quarterback and receivers. One of the most intriguing storylines this season, and not just Sunday night, but throughout the year for Toronto, is going to be the evolution of Argo's new starting quarterback, Chad Kelly, who takes over from McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Now, Kelly made a couple of amazing plays in the Grey Cup to uh, lead Toronto to that championship. What are your expectations of Chad Kelly this year? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I think it's hard to have too many expectations, but I know that the organization is is uh, deemed his team, um, his the players around him are all following him, and so you know he's got he's got it all right in front of him. He's got a, the opportunity right in front of him. So it's it's just a matter of uh, you know they're a well coached team. They have a lot of weapons. Um, a lot of their core is back from last year, so. They're going to be a strong team, uh, I, I believe, and um, you know, I think it, for him it'll be about managing the game and um, making plays when they're there, but not giving, making sure you don't give any games away early in the season as he grows confidence, and then really, uh, you know, settling into his <clears throat> his own, um, you know. So the way he can he can take over a game will come as he gets more comfortable with more um, starts under his belt. We have one more minute with Andy Fantuz, analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. We know that Hamilton played last week in Winnipeg, unfortunately lost despite a, a pretty great second half. The Argos had the bye week in week one. Do you see that for them as an advantage or a disadvantage? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think like they, I know they all went, and had a, a little team bonding thing to, to get their rings, um, the ones from last year. So uh, after coming out of camp, I think a, a little time off is is uh, it, it's hard to say if it's an advantage or disadvantage. But I'm sure they enjoyed it and they could just watch from the sideline. I think from a coaching perspective, um, it's probably in the Argos' favor that they have some film to watch and to game plan against uh, versus uh, the Ticat coaches kind of coming into an unknown. Um, but for the Ticats, I'm looking to see, you know, a little more commitment to run the ball. So not so much pressure on the, on the 
the pass um, protection for the uh, for the Ticats, and on the other side of the ball, uh, a little more pressure on Chad Kelly and uh, kind of make things speed up for him and make him make quicker decisions um, and be more aggressive against the Argo receivers. Andy, looking forward to hearing your analysis on Sunday night. Appreciate the time today. Yeah, no problem, Rick. Thank you. Take care. Andy Fantuz, analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Around the final corner for the final time, the Dutch driver will see the checkered flag first, and it's win number 40 in Formula One for Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen wins the Spanish Grand Prix to win three in a row, lead every lap, and dominate proceedings. Formula One back in in Canada, and it gets underway this weekend at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal as we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And here to talk about all things F1 is Eric Thomas, the host of Raceline Radio, Canada's National Radio Motorsport Authority. Eric, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Always good to be on with the RZ. Yeah, the uh, the F1 circus is uh, is in our bird basically. It's on our <laughs> on our shores, so it's uh, yeah, it's going to be very exciting indeed. One of the main speaking points going into this weekend is the weather because today's you practice is probably going to be a lot of rain today, more rain yeah. tomorrow for qualifying, cloudy on Sunday, which should be okay, but the qualification is going to be interesting. Yeah, it will, and it's going to have uh, as you say a a, a big factor. They practice uh, at one thirty today, then five o'clock. Supposed to rain all day. Same thing for tomorrow. They practice at twelve thirty, then they qualify at four o'clock. So obviously, the rain is going to have a big factor in how this field forms up. And on a track that is unique like Montreal is, it's not as tight as as Monaco is, but it you don't have a lot of room to swing here. And you got to get close to the walls, especially in that, that last turn there before the start-finish line where they get up close to the Wall of Champions. But it's a heavy braking track, and that's going to bring all these aero improvements and uh, into play into how they're going to work. This could be the factor to mix things up and maybe disrupt, maybe disrupt Max Verstappen and Red Bull's domination because he won this race, Max did, from the pole last year. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens and who's on the pole if it's if it's raining for all of this, we could see somebody different up there. Of course, we've also seen Max and Red Bull charge up through the field when they don't have the pole, which is rare. And you could be entertained that way, I suppose. But who knows? I mean, there's all kinds of different factors in this. I mean, they've all got big history in this. All the big teams, Red Bull, of course, we said last year with Max winning it. Mercedes has won this race seven times with, with Lewis Hamilton, tied with Schumacher. Same thing with the, the championship, oddly enough. Ferrari, and it's a Ferrari town. Let's not make any mistake. Montreal is a Ferrari town easily. They've won this race, Rick, 14 times. And, of course, Aston Martin, that is Canadian-owned and is a Canadian driver from Montreal in, in Lance Stroll, they've brought improvements you know, into this race as well. So there's all kinds of different factors. But if the weather is there and the weather's going to play a factor, and it looks like it will, who knows who's going to be on the pole and who knows how it's going to finish up. So there's that uh, unknown factor that makes it a little more exciting. I guess. Verstappen is certainly red hot. He's got five wins in the oh, season. Yeah. He's won the last three. He's been no lower than second uh, throughout the season. Yeah, yeah. He already has, as you heard from the clip, 40 career wins. Um, Lewis Hamilton has the all-time record at 103. In fact, his first ever win was in Montreal back in 2007. That, correct, yeah. Do you yeah. do you think at this point of his career, because Max is only 25, uh, yeah. Hamilton's 38. Do you think Max is a good shot at catching uh, Lewis Hamilton? Uh, yeah, he could. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if the car continues to stay this good and if the Mercedes isn't quite as good 
as uh, as the Red Bull, and we know it's not, that that is, is achievable. The one number we're all looking for, obviously, is Lewis Hamilton. Does he stay at Mercedes? Yeah, I think he will. They're taking their time signing the contract. There's nowhere else for him to really go that would interest him. He needs to break that seven-championship tie with Schumacher, which, as I said, is the same number of wins that these guys have had. He needs to get that done and then probably retire after that. But, yeah, Max being so young, there is a very distinct possibility. And that, of course, as I said, has a lot to do with the car. If they continue to be so dominant mechanically uh, and aerodynamically, then there's there's a good chance of that happening. But, you know, the the other number is intriguing as well. So there's you know, you've got all the all the big boys in here getting ready to play in Montreal. And uh, as you say, the other guy that, that's won this race that's active is Fernando Alonso, who won it in 2006. So there's all kinds of good permutations going into this. But that, the darn weather is really going to mix it up, so we'll see what happens. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Eric Thomas, the host of Raceline Radio, Canada's National Radio Motorsport Authority. You can hear it on CHML Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Uh, you mentioned Lance Stroll. Here's a, a, a Montreal yeah. native. A Canadian has never won this race. He's had one top five this season. I think he's had four top tens. would be nice to get his first podium of the season, but, man, for him to crack that top three, there's so many good drivers at the top of the list. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Now, the other thing, too, is you're noticing that, you know, uh, um, Aston Martin is right up there battling with Mercedes, battling with uh, with Red Bull, because they basically took Red Bull's car last year and cloned it. They've made some improvements and they're bringing some improvements aerodynamically to get the car to move easier through the air and quicker through the air for Montreal specifically. The team is is owned by Canadian Lance, uh, sorry, Lawrence Stroll, uh, Lance's dad. Yet there doesn't seem to be a whole a lot of chatter in Montreal about that, the fact that we have a, a Canadian-owned team in Aston Martin and, and his son, Lance, from Montreal, driving this thing. It's not the same as the Villeneuve's at all, really, and it continues to be whoever is driving for Ferrari. So it's, you know, it, it's Carlos Sainz and it's Charles Leclerc. So those red cars continue to dominate on who is the, is the majority of the fans rooting for. It's got to be the Ferraris. You know, there's a Canadian flavor in it. It doesn't seem to get a lot of play in Montreal proper, which to me is a little bit surprising because Aston Martin is a whole lot more competitive this year than they were last year. But there's all kinds of, uh, you know, there's going to be a few pockets of people cheering for, for him, uh, for, for, uh, for Lance Stroll, for sure. A lot of people following Lewis because of his history and the fact that you mentioned in 2007 won his first GP there in, in Montreal. So, yeah, there's, there's uh, but it's a Ferrari town and a, and a lot of people with Ferrari hats and Ferrari shirts and a lot of red on the racetrack and in the grandstands as well. In our final minute together, speaking of Ferrari, they have just one podium this season. What has happened yeah. to them? Uh, there's still a lot of disconnect between what the drivers in the cars are wanting and talking about and what uh, the wall guys in the pits and on the crew are talking about. They seem to still be a little bit out of sync. The car, yeah, well, it, it can certainly try and make it better. It's nowhere near as good as the Red Bull. But, but Rick, there are some internal connection and communication problems with that team that are holding it back. And what they're going to, you know, they, they've tried to change the guys at the top of the team uh, and, and, and try and improve it that way. So, yeah, that's the basic problem with Ferrari. And uh, we'll have to see if they can repair that because that seems to be the problem with that team. I'm anticipating a wild and wacky weekend at the Canadian GP in Montreal. Eric, appreciate the time. Enjoy the race. Always enjoy being on with you, Rick. We'll talk to everybody Sunday night. That is Eric Thomas, host of Raceline Radio, Canada's National Radio Motorsport Authority. You can hear it 
Sunday nights at 8 on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There are some jobs, I will admit, there are some jobs I would simply not be able to do. Climbing any tall buildings or towers. Nope, I'm not good with those kind of heights. Anything underground like mining? Probably not for me either. I don't mind getting dirty. That, that's fine, but that's probably not the job for me either. Another thing would be flying a plane. Just way too much pressure in that job. Well, there is a kid from Oakville who has become one of the youngest people to fly a plane. And he did it on his 14th birthday, believe it or not. Marco Disler and Lucienne Disler are our guests here on GMH. Uh, Lucienne is the 14-year-old who has taken flights. Marco is his dad, and they join us here on GMH. Uh, gentlemen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Lucienne, we'll start with you. Uh, I watched the video of your flight. You seem so calm and so cool, so in control. Was that the case on the inside as well? Absolutely. Honestly, the amount of effort that goes into the training to get up to that moment. You've done this so many times. In fact, you've done uh, up to 30 hours, which is what I did before that. So really, I just thought it was so natural for me to fly like that. Marco, how and when did Lucien become interested in flying? Well, I would say for for many years, we both have had a a passion for aviation, attending various uh, air shows. And um, I would say that 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 dream or that vision ignited uh, when we visited one of the biggest air shows in uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And that very much was the birth uh, of the idea that turned into a big vision. And then we derived a plan and uh, said, OK, let's uh, let's give it a shot. So, Lucien, you mentioned that you were doing some training. That's obviously with someone else in the in the plane. Was this uh, on your birthday, on your 14th birthday? Was this the first time you were flying alone? Yes, it was. And that's a in the aviation community that's known as a very big milestone is the first time you fly solo so yes this was my first time flying solo and a lot of preparation went into that what was it like it was a very new experience and the thing is is that flying was also different because the weight of having someone else in the aircraft makes a huge difference so Ultimately, it was a very new experience, but it felt amazing to finally be free and have that responsibility on you. Oh, I, I can believe it. Uh, Marco, does this mean that Lucien is destined for a piloting career? Have you, have you discussed that? We, we, of course, have discussed this many times. And Lucien has, um, has, a, a, has a broad interest in many different, different areas. And, uh, and actually, Lucien brought up the fact that he really wants to pursue at least one university degree first and then contemplate whether he wants to become a, a commercial pilot. Because when you are a commercial pilot, you have to pass your medical exam every year. And if you do not pass, that can mean your, your career can end quite abruptly. And respectively, Lucien decided he wants to play it safe and for sure first go for more air formal education and either thereafter or at the same time pursue with um, getting a commercial pilot license. Lucien, that's a, that's a pretty cool game plan. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> when it comes to uh, not only commercial piloting, but what, what about uh, the armed forces or emergency uh, uh, aircraft? Have you thought about that as well? Uh, of course. I, I've looked at this and I really thought it was a, an interesting area. However, for now, 
it's going to be similar to uh, what my dad mentioned with this gang a uni degree first. And then past that point, everything in terms of flying in aviation is an option. Who knows? Maybe I'll join for emergency forces or a commercial pilot. Past that point, it's just uh, what I would like to do in the moment. So what is the immediate future for you in an aircraft, Lucien? I, I know this this first flight on your 14th birthday for solo flight uh, wasn't a great distance. You didn't go overseas or anything like that. So what's the next benchmark you want to hit? For now, I'm going to actually be laying low for flying. I won't be doing it for a little bit because of the fact that I actually have to be 16 to be able to qualify for the age uh, age limit for the next license. So for me, what I'd like to do is actually go ahead and get the next license at maybe 17 years old. Well, wow, Marco, when you hear that, what do you what's running through your mind? I mean, this is a this is a, <laughs> a whiz kid who has done his homework, uh, you know, th- looking at the books and the manuals and how to fly planes. And now he's actually doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And Lucien has always been quite mature for, for his age. And we feel quite privileged that we can help Lucien realize these dreams uh, wherever we can. And yeah, that's very much the role that we wanted to take. It's not to push him into anything, but more enable him to do things. And really, we always say, this is the best the best time of your life. You think broad, experiment, and then and then see where your passion takes you. Yeah, you are literally, Lucien, reaching for the skies. Thanks for joining us today, Marco Lucien Disler, and uh, safe travels. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Pretty cool story. 14-year-old Lucien Disler taking to the friendly skies solo on his 14th birthday, becoming one of the youngest on the planet to ever do so. That's pretty awesome. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.